0: Always start things before you're entirely ready. That's a great piece of advice.
1: That I wish to pass on to the listener. practice podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of. Private Practice Podcast with me, Daniel P. Brown. And me, James Hall, in Paris still,
0: but from a different private practice studio, this time on the eighth floor. So this private practice has a view of the
1: twinkling lights of the city. How beautiful. And um, can you see the Eiffel Tower from your window? No, I cannot. Oh, shame. Shame. Shame, shame, shame. Paris is still
0: a chaotic, awful, inhuman place to live, and yet, despite everything, I still really like it.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's good to know. So, um, James, how are you? Uh, Very well, thank you. I want to
0: uh, discuss the elephant in the room, which is... We are talking about fantasy today, and we have already, at one point, recorded an episode about fantasy, which I have essentially binned, so we're redoing it, and I just want to get all of your feelings out into the open now, so that the listener doesn't have in the back of their mind a distracting voice saying, why is Dan a little bit angry Is he angry with me? What have I done wrong? Hopefully they won't have those thoughts because they'll remember from previous episodes that these negative uh, thought patterns and the internal
1: voice saying things like that is unhealthy. Well, it's interesting you should say that because what I think you've done is lead perfectly into today's episode, which is, uh, as chosen by you, about fantasy and i think that what you've been doing is assuming responses to uh messages you've been sending me <laughs> because because you, you suggested then that i was angry is that right yes i didn't miss here that you thought that i am currently angry
0: what okay so in this case my fantasy is based not entirely on imagination but It's constructing a version of reality based on things that have happened before. There have been times when uh, we've recorded and we haven't fully been on the same page, so to speak. And you have been a little bit agitated. And when I've listened back, it sounded more obvious than it did in the moment when I was too obsessed with probably myself and the subject to notice how you uh-huh. came across in the moment. Because I wasn't in the moment, I was slightly in the future and occasionally in the past. I try not to be like that anymore. Okay. And well, so can you, uh, can you... So I'm now imagining that if that were to repeat itself, you on the other end would be sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to go ahead with James's idea to re-record fantasy, but actually I think this is a waste of time And he doesn't understand that I think it's a waste of time and he doesn't understand that I'm right and he's wrong. So if I'm just really a bit aggressive or passive aggressive, whatever fits, uh, he'll learn. That'll show him. And also because uh, whereas usually we record on a leisurely Sunday afternoon, tonight is a Monday evening. I've been at work all day. I'm a bit tired, I'm a bit short tempered. He's just going to have to put up with that and face up to reality, because uh, James has to learn one day that he can't just control his environment and how things happen. Some things are out of his control. And today, on a Monday evening, when I'm a bit tired and irritated, when he's making me re-record something I've already done and I don't think we should re-record it, I'm going to teach him a lesson.
1: So so your fantasy is that I'm angry because I've before been angry when... I've disagreed with your choice of re-recording a podcast or similar. Yes. Well, it is a perfect example because I'm actually in quite a good mood. I'm quite, I'm quite relaxed, had a pleasant healthy meal and I've just been pottering around, excuse the pun, transferring my plants from their little seedling trays into their very own compostable pots. Well, good. So what might have seemed like
0: a totally chaotic typically chaotic start to the episode it was actually a perfect illustration of the subject today whereby i had create i had predicted in my mind how things were going to pan out based on learnt evidence from previous situations and i had imposed those onto my projection of the future to create a likely reality to the point where I believed
1: that that was actually going to be the reality. Absolutely. So, tell us, James, why did you choose to re-record the fantasy episode? And is this fantasy with an F or fantasy with a (laughs) PH? Does does it matter? (laughs) Thank you for asking that,
0: Dan. This is like one of those sort of like A journalist on the spot uh, waiting for someone to come out of an important building and make an announcement about some political situation and the interviewer says so Dan, you're live at the situation, what can you tell us? Well James, I'm glad you asked that question, I can tell you this as if it's spontaneous and live but actually it's been rehearsed several times throughout the day Fantasy with an F And fantasy with a PH are two subtly different things, and we're going to be talking about that today. But you asked another question, I've forgotten it.
1: Why did you want to re-record our episode that's previously been recorded on fantasy that you think I would have liked and you yourself clearly didn't like? Oh,
0: yeah. The reason I forgot that was not actually accidental. It's because I didn't want to answer the question. And so that's an interesting example of my subconscious being quite effective there. I thought no, I don't want to answer that question. It'll be too distracting for the listener. It'll be much more efficient if we just get onto the subject of fantasy and they don't have to listen to a pointless uh, bit of background and context that they don't need. So I thought it's probably best if I don't answer that. But then um, I also had the autistic problem of that I still sometimes succumb to, which is there was a loose end there, and I must tie it up. I'm not going to go into all the details of why I want to record it, but let's just say that everything is better the second time round. Okay, carry on then. Fantasy with an F. And this is not a... I'm not reading a dictionary definition here. Maybe Dan will slap his massive book on the table in a minute and give us something enlightened. But I'm just going to give you my layman's terms of fantasy and fantasy. So fantasy with an F is essentially an imagined desire and you're aware of it. So to give a Freudian example, I fantasize about sucking the juices, the the milky juices of the maternal nipple because I am a child and I crave nourishment. To give a more uh, relevant adult example, I fantasise about next year being much more wealthy and I'm going to be on a yacht and I'm going to be sipping a drink And it's all going to be great according to these various clichés. Okay. Whereas fantasy with a PH comes from the unconscious. So this goes back to some of your core beliefs that we've discussed and the drivers behind your behaviour that come from the unconscious and determine most of your actions without you knowing it. And a good example of that is continuing an argument in your head after the other person is no longer present. And so in your mind, you talk, your internal voice is continuing to have that argument with the other person, and they are responding to you. And it gets to the point where Elements of reality are continued as if the reality continues and this is not imagined to the point where you believe that it's actually true. So I may, this evening, have got to the point where I truly believe that you're in an angry mood because I had predicted it and now I'm suddenly surprised to find you're not angry because that fantasy was not some wild thing where I was aware, oh I'm not actually rich, there isn't a yacht. I'm not there yet. I'm just thinking about this thing that might happen in the future. The fantasy with a ph was leading me to the point where I had a concrete fact Dan is angry. And then in the reality, I'm faced with Dan is not angry, the actual concrete fact. And those things look at each other and they say, oh, I am not your reflection. And the other says, Oh, I am not your reflection. Does this make sense?
1: You go on anyway, even if it doesn't.
0: <laughs> well, no, I don't want to go on because it's quite a simple idea, and the more I say, the more I complicate it. See so if you can. Yeah, do you, so if you can, do you want me to take
1: over a little yeah, bit? Yeah, see if you can say that simple idea in a simple way. Okay, well, fantasy is an imagined situation. The most obvious and accessible um, version of fantasy. Uh, is a kind of a daydreaming wish fulfilment whereby ideas that we would like to happen take place in our head as we mildly detach from what's really going on around us. One of the most famous ones, of course, that I think we all, well, many of us will probably engage in is the fantasy of having won the lottery and what we will do with all of the money that we're going to spend now that we have won 7.9 million pounds it's a fantasy. It's not real. It's a basis in reality. It's a daydream. That's a very simple version of fantasy. When you're looking at the more psychological, psychiatric, uh, psychoanalytical schools and, and um, theories around it, it gets a little bit more complicated where you're talking about um, uh, repression of ideas. And so therefore, a fantasy is turned into uh, the, the, the idea is turned into a fantasy. Um, you know, where you might want to be dealing with issues of power or control or, or, or feelings of being um, unable to be in control. And so you imagine yourself as the boss and imagine yourself as having a managerial position or imagine yourself as having, you know, the holiday and the yacht, but actually you don't have that much money. But the very basic idea is an imagined situation. That's the conscious fantasy, you know, we we all engage in that. It's, it's sometimes nice, a pure moment of escapism, which quite often we'll we'll, we'll mildly um, giggle at ourselves for for even engaging in. And other times, as we come out of it, we might might be quite disappointed that that fantasy is not going to exist. Is not going to exist. There's obviously sexual fantasy as well. But so far, everything which... you've said is that all f fantasy. Well. I... <sighs> I think when you're starting to look at F fantasy and PH fantasy and trying to get some kind of true um, differentiation between the two, you'd, you, you, different scholars and different writers would argue that there is any real difference. But I think in the uh, uh, earlier days of psychoanalysis, the like 1800s to 1940s, you, they would probably be using the PH for that unconscious fantasy and the F for the conscious fantasy, a kind of a chosen activity almost. Can I give you a fun fact? I'd love you to. It was James Strachey, Freud's
0: translator, who created the new PH fantasy when he was translating Freud's work and he was baffled by Freud's lack of clarity between different types of fantasy. So he, I believe, from what I read, according to Julius Segal... Um, he distinguished between an imagined desire of which you are aware and an unconscious desire that is an extension of your awareness to the point where you get to where you're believing made-up things are actually true and you're not aware that this is made up anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a... There's a a definite body of research suggesting that fantasy, in in almost any form, is a kind of a defence mechanism. Um, And as we looked at in previous episodes or discussed, a defence mechanism is something that protects you from painful, distressing feelings and experiences, Uh, most commonly probably feelings in the moment, and fantasising consciously and or unconsciously can remove you from from those difficult feelings. Um, and then there's different, obviously, uh, stages of development in psychology and psychoanalysis. So you've got your childlike fantasies, um, which for some reason you chose to start off with mother's breast and, and, and fantasising about milk, which I think says a lot more about you than it does the topic of fantasy. Um, and then more serious and severe uh, versions of fantasy whereby people actually might live in a world um, and uh, if I quickly check on Wikipedia, it gives a rather um, common definition of Walter Mitty, the um, uh, the fictional character with the book about a guy who imagines his success and popularity instead of actually trying to make efforts to be successful and make friends. Walter Mitty. I think there was a film made about it a few years ago, actually starring probably Steve Carell. You brought up sexual fantasy. I think
0: I I I want to make sure that we don't distinguish sexual fantasy and ph fantasy as two different things or any other confusing distinction uh just because sexual fantasy as a phrase sounds like a thing separate from other things so it could it, it could sound like we're talking about the other things that are separate from sexual fantasy but for example If you find someone attractive and you fantasise about what it would be like to be intimate with that person in whatever context gets you excited, that's an imagined desire, you're aware of it. If in that process you keep coming back to it and you have all these imagined conversations with that person, And maybe uh, for the first time in your life, after the fantasy has developed to a certain point where you feel familiar in their company, in your mind, you start to open up to them and you start to have the most incredibly rewarding sexual encounters with that person, all of which are in your head. You can imagine then how your perception of that person in reality is now different to the last time you saw them, even though you have no new information about that person whatsoever. Everything between the last time you saw them and now is your fantasy world. But in your head, you've had a conversation where you've opened up to them. You now trust them with your most deeply personal information and they have given you the gift of incredibly rewarding uh, sexual behaviour, but at the same time... They have listened to you. They have been the ears, the, what's a better word than nice, the c- comforting, the everything you've been waiting for ears to listen to your deepest desires. You've finally found the person you can trust. They are now a critical person in your life, and you trust them more than anyone else, and you are more grateful to them than anyone else in your life because of their behaviour. None of this is real. You've imagined it all. So this is a really it, it, elaborate fantasy. The next time you see them, they are a wildly different person to where you left off when nothing has actually changed. You know, nothing new about their life since the previous time you saw them. You would not ha- pre- approach them in, this,
1: in the same way if you had not had those fantasies about them. OK, look... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah yes and no um let's let's remove the sexual fantasy part let's talk about your manager at work okay and the, and then so you go to your manager at work and you say i have a fantastic project i really would like to implement this project obviously i need your go ahead and uh, in in the in the in the build up to you doing this you imagined all of the different outcomes and scenarios as being positive you thought the boss would say oh that's a fantastic project james or listener that is a fantastic project i'm so glad you brought it to me let's go ahead with this let's do this let's 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 shoot yeah go for the stars go on go on you can do this however that's fantasy in reality you go to your boss's door you knock on the door and you say Oh hi. Uh, any chance that I could speak to you for a little while? I've had, a... and before you've even finished your first sentence, he's like, "Not now. I'm kind of busy today." Is there any chance you can make an appointment with me? Maybe I could see you like early April. Um, so yeah, come back then. And and the fantasy, the the excitement, the emotions that built up with it are taken away. They're kind of destroyed. And then the fantasy changes. In your head, you start having a conversation with them, like um, and and with with and about them and with and about yourself. Um, oh, you know, he never listens to me. Oh, I, n- I knew that was gonna happen. The fantasies completely change. Oh, oh my ideas are never good enough. I, I really wish I'd never worked here, my job here's useless, and blah, 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 blah. And two minutes later, he calls you into the office. He says, Oh, sorry, actually my next point was cancelled. Coming in, what is it you want? And again, the situation's changed. Now None of what was going on in your head was real or accurate or or even was, was fulfilled in reality. But the idea is that you've played through these different scenarios, um, different wishes, different um, uh, potential outcomes, and they've been somewhat real in your head. You might have understood that you were imagining them, so they weren't actually real in that moment, but there was the possibility of them being real. And fantasy does have the possibility of becoming real in many cases, but not always. It's the playing through of things, external and in reality, but playing them through in your head where you yourself are adding um, meaning and outcome and desire and and feeling and and words to these situations that haven't happened. But do you agree that if you obsess over something for long enough, if you
0: have that internal fantasy conversation with your boss your friend who you're actually in love with uh, your friend who has betrayed you or whatever if you have that conversation internally for long enough it becomes difficult to distinguish facts from your memory and yeah, imagine yes, things yes. that they have said but they didn't actually say it you've
1: just said them as a projection yeah yeah and you're talking about problematic fantasy there you're like delving into the world of unhealthy psychological habit or or patterns of behavior but the fantasy is not always that Uh, and if you did pop back if we do pop back to your description of sexual fantasy the idea that you think about, you sexually fantasise about the certain things you'd like to do or say or experience with another person sexually and then you see them again, you probably, I would have assumed, quite quickly realise that that hasn't happened. And you would then perhaps want to try and make it happen or you would, you would be appalled that you'd had these sexual fantasies and not even try and bring them into reality. I don't think it changes how you think Uh, in essence, about that person. There might just be then a
0: moment of shock when you realise that it's not real and then you adjust to that reality quite
1: quickly. Yeah, well, I think that's true of a lot of people who say they love each other a lot of the love for the person is going on inside the head. It's not the reality. It's not the actions of the other person. It's the it's the romantic story you're telling yourself about the meeting of this person and what, when they say things to you, it means and the emotion that they're feeling and holding. And, you know, just because they've said the words, I love you, or, or you say the words, I love you, or you've had sex, or you seem close, or you spent a lot of time together, the fantasy that goes along with that, the conscious fantasy of... You know, I mean, the classic one is um, someone telling their partner, you know, or their person they've been going out with, for a few months, "Oh, <laughs> I want to marry you," or "We, I want to have children together." It's because that stuff's been going on in your head. There may have been no conversation about it, and the other person going, "Whoa, whoa, that's not what's happening here. We're just dating and having fun. This was casual. I thought you knew that." So fantasy it can be it is very common because we all imagine outcomes of how we'd like it to be. Um obviously, like you can have depressed fantasies as well, and psychotic fantasies and narcissistic fantasies. So a fantasy can have um multiple different um bases or multiple different starting points. So, you know, you, you mentioned the kind of the childhood fantasy of imagining the comfort of the mother's breast which is what I think you were getting at Um, and then the more they might not even be able to use words or or, but the idea that they're going to be fed and taken care of and then it doesn't happen and the distress that the distress that that causes I use that Um, example
0: only because uh, the Oedipus complex
1: comes up in pretty much all of these ideas
0: every one of these little books of ideas in psychoanalysis Somehow manages to get back to the idea of every child wanting to slay their father and marry their mother or the other way around, depending on their gender
1: and so we're talk- we 're talking about now Fre- freud 's constructed fantasy around multiple often repressed wishes and employing disguise and mask and and uh, euphemism and and um to 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 mask the defense process which is being enacted through the fantasy yes okay uh, which uh, which removes you from the the unbearable feelings and desires that you want to protect yourself from because you find them for some reason so repulsive or shameful uh the the first time I was ever aware in a very obvious way
0: of my expectations of reality being completely fake because they were all uh, fantasy that I had lived out over the course of maybe two months was uh, as a megalomaniac child. When I used to be editor of my media empire, uh, I used to make these magazines for my aunt, which I've talked about before on this podcast and They used to be my number one priority. So let's say for the summer holiday, two months, I would think about what I was going to put in them, what they were going to look like. I would make them and then I would go back and look at what I'd made and think about how I was going to improve them and I would have hype all along building up in my head yeah this is really good I'm going to really uh, make the most of this think about how I was going to sell them to my aunt what little uh, teasers I was going to give and the more excited I got about her about anticipating her reaction to how good this was going to be uh, particularly if I'd written some kind of story and left off with a cliffhanger on the last one. Um, In that situation, I would imagine her being on the edge of her seat, waiting to find out what happens, because that's how I was excited. That's how excited I was between the previous episode of what I'd written and what I was going to write to resolve the cliffhanger, I, she must have been equally as excited, if not more excited because obviously she's consuming this and I'm creating it. And it would get to the point where I would send it off and I would be like I used to be when we recorded these episodes, bouncing around in my chair, chomping at the bits anticipating just how exciting this was Uh Totally consumed in the idea that I'm proving myself successfully the genius that my father never thought I would be after the age of seven. And then one day came when I hand delivered one of these envelopes to her instead of sending it in the post. So, whereas I would uh, put these things in the post and just imagine the euphoria at the other end, the, the sort of rainbows of glitter that would come out of the envelope as she opened it in anticipation and giddy delight. I saw the reality when I handed her an envelope, and I think she was listening to the radio, and it was Radio 4, and there was some discussion of current affairs, and therefore current affairs are just what ever random thing happens to be going on right now whereas don't forget i had been making this for about a month or two i handed it to her she put it down she continued to listen to the radio there was some random discussion about let's say immigration she was responding to the radio and giving her twopence worth of what she thought about the issue of the day and i thought at the time i was i was starting to get agitated i was about i was getting uneasy I thought come on here let's all get a sense of perspective I have spent a month creating this thing the radio is something that's on every day all the time you weren't even thinking about the subject of today's news agenda five minutes ago it's only because you happen to turn the radio on that you're even thinking about it let's just remember everyone that that's irrelevant and what is relevant is my child genius in that envelope you are blessed to have my childhood genius gifted to you in an envelope, ready for you. You've been waiting for this moment. So come on, let's, let's get on with it. Let's open the envelope. And so then what happened was that she didn't open the envelope. She continued to listen to the radio and she probably started doing some cooking and then she thought about other things that she was going to do with her day. And by that point, I'd, I, I, I was about to lose my lose my calm yes essentially and so rather than waiting for her to open it this was just excruciating i pretty much thrust it in front of her oh yeah yeah, that thing so she she took it and she opened it and she pulled it out and she flicked through it totally indifferent, and said, oh, yeah, you're getting quite good at these, and then she put it down, and she continued to do the cooking and to talk about the subject on the news. And I thought, no, no, this can't be true. I wrote the thing with the cliffhanger, and you've been waiting a whole month to find out what happens, and it's in that thing in front of you, and you haven't even read it, and you don't know what the conclusion to the cliffhanger is, and it's really exciting, and you should be excited. And she wasn't, because obviously... That thing that I had done that was number one in my world was just one of the many distractions in her ongoing and rather randomly curated life. Hmm. And so how did that make you feel? It made me feel... In, in that moment, it made me feel disappointed that people are not good enough. And that if, if everyone was as good as they were in my imagined world... Better things would be created, and everything would be justly appreciated and there would be an e- equilibrium and we could all feel
1: calm and balanced uh-huh so what do you think was why do you think that was so important to you that fantasy i don't understand the question you've just you just told me how much you'd built it up in your head this moment where You know, you had a fantasy that what... How how did you expect her to react? What was it part of What I expected her to be excited
0: that finally she was going to find out what had happened in the cliffhanger. There was a story with an exciting ending leaving her on edge, not knowing what was going to happen next. And in this envelope was what happens next. And in my head, it was the most exciting thing and therefore why would it not be the most exciting thing to someone else because I don't believe myself, as a me as a child, I don't believe myself having unimportant things elevated to the status of most exciting. I believe that if I think it's the most exciting, it is the most exciting, because
1: I'm a 13-year-old boy at this point. OK. So what happened then when she didn't respond like that? I can't remember if specifically
0: if I thought... I must try harder. I thought this was as good as it gets, but it didn't work to grab her attention. Next time, I must try harder. Or if I went away head down forlorn thinking, I tried my best to make something really exciting and it didn't work and I don't fit into the world because people don't get me and I will never fit in.
1: And I may as well just so, give up. So it was. It it in a way it was consciously in your mind, but it was unconsciously a fantasy. You, you weren't aware that that was a fantasy. To you, that was what was going to happen.
0: To me, what was going to happen? She was going to get excited
1: when she opened the envelope. Yes.
0: Yes, yes. She was going to get excited when she opened the envelope because what was the alternative? It was an exciting thing. It's not possible to not get excited about the most exciting thing. And then the reality that hit me in the face like a saucepan was, actually, James, this is not an exciting thing to anyone but you in your own little head. And maybe you don't understand the world around you or maybe the world is just disappointing and you're better than it. But either way, it's not great. And the thing that you thought was great is not real. It's just in your
1: head. And so how long, how long, how did you manage that at the time? And how long did these, did that keep repeating itself? Or after that, is that one occasion you're talking about? This time she's listening to the radio. And do you remember which issue it was? And do you remember, you know, was that a turning point in your fantasy? Might that have happened Plenty of times before, only actually she reacted how you wanted her to.
0: No, that was no, she I don't specifically remember her act reacting how I wanted her to react. This was quite a few years into the process, so this has been quite a few years already of imagining how she reacted when she opened the envelope, but never actually
1: seeing it for real. So, all of it was a fantasy. So, do we? Did we ever, did you ever get to a point where you stopped having that fantasy before or during the process of making the magazine for your aunt?
0: Well, I think I learned a life lesson there in that not everything in the outside world is as I project it to be according to my own priorities, my own agenda. But I think I probably continued to fantasise about how she would open future envelopes but based on adjusting my expectations of reality according to the new information that I had processed from the one time when I was there to witness the opening of the envelope. So I carried on making the magazine, and in future I thought, okay, I won't focus so much on these sensational cliffhanger storylines as if they're exciting, because she clearly doesn't find them exciting. I'll try instead and think about... I'll try instead think about something that she might actually like to receive as opposed to what I want to give her and what I think she should find exciting. So that was probably uh, a tipping point. But I don't think I ever then fully followed that line of inquiry into empathy until we started doing this podcast. I probably still maintained an element of, well, actually... If I try harder, I can make her think the way I think. I can make her feel excited about the things I think she should feel excited about as opposed to trying to understand that she is different to me and what that means from her point of view and how I could understand that and relate
1: to her as she is as opposed to how I think she should be. So did you ever get partially what you wanted? Because if there was only the one time... Was it just the once that you actually got to see her open it? There's that, yeah, the
0: one time is the, is the memory that has stuck. If there was another time, it was less significant and I don't remember it.
1: And so, on the, on the times that you didn't see her open it, how did you get your feedback about the magazine? How was the fantasy finished almost, or completed, or responded to? Um
0: I used to write emails to her and she would generously take the time to write quite detailed responses and while she never really engaged in the subject of these magazines because she I mean I never did I never set off on the right foot to get her on side and on board because I don't know if you remember the the gist of a lot of these magazines was to satirise her life, to make her out to be an idiot, to make her out to be something she wasn't, a um, fame-hungry, media-tittle-tattle, salacious celebrity whore, which is everything she wasn't, everything she disliked. And I made her out to be the, 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 the monster that she... Abhorred. I made it made out that it was actually her, in a, in quite a crude, vulgar <laughs> way, with childish humour, bodily fluid jokes that she didn't find funny. So I did nothing to get her on side initially. I just believed that because I was the darling only child, the delight of the family, that she would have to like what I did because everyone else liked what I did. I saw no evidence of me doing things and people not liking it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK. And, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting that you should say that, having recently spoken to us and the listener about um, um, about believing that a child was perfect and then, I guess, trying to get this perfect reaction to a perfect... Um, fanzine about your aunt that you'd been writing for years and
0: let's not um, forget then, that this is me as a 13 year old so i'm well into the phase of proving myself post seven
1: Yep, yeah, you're you're like seven years into it a lifetime for a seven-year-old if that makes sense yeah um okay so i'm just looking at the melanie klein trust now melanie klein is a a psychoanalyst who who developed Freud's theories further... Crucially, she's a woman.
0: Freud is often accused of providing nothing but the male perspective, and later on in life he acknowledged that himself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, He was a child of his time. Um, But um, I, I, I found from the little I know about Melanie Klein that her descriptions and her understanding and her development of Freud's theories and principles are just way more accessible and more useful... And the language that they use, that she uses, or that they are um, translated into, are just much, much more useful. So, the Melanie Klein Trust and a very lovely website it has, um, unconscious fantasy definition. Uh, If you don't mind, I'd read it, James. Yes. So, in Kleinian theory, unconscious fantasies, spelt with a ph, underlie every mental process and accompany all mental activity and I think that's something that we hadn't quite yet touched on they are the mental representations of those somatic events in the body that, comp- that comprise of the instincts and are physical sensations interpreted as relationships with objects that cause those sensations fantasy is the mental expression of both libidinal and aggressive impulses and also of defense mechanisms against those impulses I'm just going to repeat that bit Fantasy, which is what we're talking about today, is the mental expression of both libido and aggressive impulses, the sexual and aggressive impulses, and also of defence mechanisms against those impulses. So not only is it like a kind of a projected version of us trying to understand and process and feel anger and rage and hate and violence and disgust, as well as sex and 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 uh, love and admiration and obsession and and beauty, it's us tr- and we experience that when people say they have emotions in their body and when when psychologists and psychoanalysts are talking about emotions, they're in our body. We feel them, but we don't necessarily understand them or are really truly aware of them. You know, so some people, you know, if you think about a really good example, it's butterflies in your stomach. How is anxiety? which you would almost imagine is a conscious, oh, I'm worried about something. How is anxiety? Butterflies in your stomach. It's because our body is very finely tuned to, to be able to experience emotions, um, uh, memories, ideas, thoughts, worries, fears. That's what our body is. It's like a tool for those kind of things. So fantasy is the expression of this stuff inside that we aren't able to perhaps verbalise in a very clear way perhaps because humans don't even yet fully have the language for it much carrying on with the definition much of the therapeutic activity of psychoanalysis which is obviously what we've been starting to talk about and I think we're going to talk way more about over coming episodes much of the activity of psychoanalysis can be described as an attempt to convert unconscious fantasy into conscious thought whereas Cognitive Behavioural Therapy may well be a way of transferring conscious thought into a activity and behaviour.
0: What do you mean transferring conscious thought into an activity? Negative S- conscious sorry.
1: thought or... Um... Well, with CBT, yes, you usually go for a problem, don't you? Challenging. (laughs) I'm feeling great. I want you to use CBT to ruin it all. Yeah, can you you see why it's just a sick fantasy I had as a child and make sure that I'm fully ashamed about this?
0: All my friends are depressed I feel left out FOMO, fear of missing out why is it that all my friends talk about their mental health and their therapist and how they've found cognitive behavioural therapy really useful or not and how they've been six years into therapy I don't have any problems and I feel really frankly quite
1: hacked off about this so please could you just develop some yeah yeah so klein also and i really i really do 100 percent think that uh reading about melanie klein for 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 our listener is is way more useful than reading about freud and any 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 work about melanie klein will obviously hark back and explain some of freud's more basic theories um but yeah it's uh blah, 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 blah. Klein also and her successors emphasize that fanti- fantasies inter- interact reciprocally with experience, to form the developing intellectual and emotional characteristics of the individual. As in, they're a useful thing. Fantasies are considered to be a basic capacity underlying in shaping thoughts, dreams, symptoms, which is obviously what we're talking about with CBT, and patterns of defence.
0: Well, Dan, I'm glad you said that, because that leads me neatly onto... Have we finished there?
1: Well, yeah, but have you (laughs) got any... You know, have you got nothing to say about that or you well, know, I mean, like a reaction? That's
0: what I want to react to. <laughs> um, <the laughs> I-
1: with something you prepared earlier. Brilliant. I love you. The, I literally love you, James.
0: The idea that fantasy is necessary to make good things happen. Or rather, I had written that as a question. I'm now stating it as a fact, but we can transform it into a, back into a question. Is fantasy necessary to make anything good happen? Is this worth the cost of an increasingly warped perception of reality? So I'm just thinking about any creative process. Uh, Creative people imagine things in the future being different to how they are now. Otherwise, there wouldn't be... I mean, an easy, easy, easy example is Facebook. Uh, If there hadn't been someone imagining what it would be like to create networks of people online that you could talk to... That would not exist. Why would anyone just accidentally uh, make that because they were trying to fix their broken... Broken... I, 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 you need to ask a computer person. Something on their computer was broken and they accidentally created Facebook. No, someone imagined what it would be like to have a connected world of people in networks where you could communicate with them and therefore with that fantasy of what the future was going to be like they set about making it a reality. So in a way, they were aware of it being a fantasy and not the reality yet. But in order to succeed, most people have ideas and they fail. Almost all ideas fail. Almost all businesses fail. Most people have an idea and they don't have enough conviction or they don't really know what they're doing or they don't fully believe in it or they don't believe in themselves or whatever and almost all things fail. The things that survive are things like facebook which is still going as we record and was and was created by someone who is for shorthand i'm going to say not normal mark zuckerberg is not a normal person he would have had an obsessive belief that what he was doing was genius was going to change the world and in his mind in his fantasy of what the world was going to be like with facebook That was so close to reality and it was so achievable for him to create that that in his mind there would have been very little difference between the reality of a world that doesn't have facebook and isn't asking for it and in his head the world where it already exists and it's wonderful and has made the world a better place and therefore it's that determination that is needed to actually make something happen and now Mm -hmm. there's a whole generation Mm -hmm. who can't imagine a world without facebook but if he had been the kind of person who had either doubted himself or, or who had sat back and thought, actually, this idea is just something in my head and what if it doesn't work out as well and what if I'm not good enough? No Facebook.
1: Yes, well, I'm I'm tempted to say that all art comes from fantasy and all um, uh, innovation comes from fantasy. Uh, there's a lovely Freud quote which of course is translated and therefore has the ph Mm -hmm. Um, daydreams are cathartic with a large amount of interest they are carefully cherished by the subject and usually concealed with a great deal of sensitivity such fantasies may be unconscious just as well as conscious these fantasies include a great deal of the true constitutional essence of the subject's personality And the energetic man is one who succeeds by his efforts in turning his wishful fantasies into reality. An artist can transform his fantasies into creations instead of into symptoms, which are the doom of neurosis.
0: Was there anything in that Melanie Klein chunk (laughs) that you would like to revisit?
1: Well I think it's really interesting that it's not a um "Oh, I'm bored, I'm going to fantasize," or "Oh, I need to know what I'm into you know there's not a there's not a like a a conscious decision to fantasize. They arise in us when the emotions underlying them are starting to move are starting to create a um an environment are starting to create something in us that means that we have to manage it, you know, a slow build-up of anxiety, a slow build-up of excitement, a, uh, an, an increasing sexual libido. Something happens and the fantasies, you know, the more conscious fantasies then kick in. Yeah, I do um, want to bring I, this back to that sort of level because we've had the examples of
0: Oedipus and Mark Zuckerberg creating Facebook and my childhood megalomania media empire, but everyday examples of normal things such as the one where you continue an argument in your head that you've had with a friend or a colleague or something those are not grand ideas firstly you don't consciously think right (laughs) I haven't finished that argument I'm going to deliberately create create an unreal fantasy in my head so that I can continue the argument you just do it does that make sense yep so you and I disagree about something I think you're wrong you say to me I can't talk about it now or we were arguing on the train and I got off or uh, we were arguing for a long time and it was time for me to go anyway and then half an hour after I left I thought and another thing in my head I thought of another point and I thought oh I really should have I wish I had this point crop into my head. When I was with Dan, I would have made this point and it would have been effective. And how would it have panned out? Well, here we go. And then I have the whole argument again in my head, but this time making my new point. And I imagine how you would react to it. And I essentially challenge my new point with what I think would be your reaction. And then I try and reinforce it. And if the point is strong enough, I have the argument to reinforce it. And you are proven wrong. And I think, yes, that was satisfactory. None of this is real. It's all entirely made up. And the next time I see you, it might be difficult to remember what we actually said and what I fantasized about. But this is not some big grand thing where I thought, I'm going to create this fantasy in order to achieve my objectives. It's something that I would have
1: just slipped into. Yeah, that, that's the way that I see it, um, or something that you couldn't have avoided without having had psychoanalytical psychotherapy, probably for some considerable time. The, you know, wh- one of the one of the ideas of psychoanalysis is is, is a kind of an integration of the self. Like one of the outcomes, the, the the proposed outcomes, the hopeful outcomes of is an is an integration of the n- negative, critical, self doubting darker side the shadow self i think as jung said um and the positive more energetic more um, content more realistic uh, or happier side the uh, an integration of those two but so i had i had a, a best friend for from when i was around seven till when i was around 30 so 23 years and the the enmeshed nature of our relationship could mean that for, I I don't think I'm exaggerating in in saying scores of hours, 20, 30 hours a week, I would be talking to him aggressively and angrily in my head about the shit and the nonsense and the rubbish that he had said recently or or the things that he had done and why he'd done them. And I'd have these, um, what are those called, like um, probably quite narcissistic fantasies about how i would win this argument and prove him wrong and and how he would feel or how he would realize he was wrong or even how i would then just end the friendship and that is it and that was it it was over and after years of this i eventually got to a point where uh, through therapy i realized it was most of this was in my head i knew how he treated other people i knew how he spoke to me i knew the feelings that were brought up in me and i knew that that love and kindness I once had for him wasn't there so I had to in reality say I'm sorry I don't want to spend time with you anymore and it was so difficult and during that I don't know 20 maybe it was the first 10 years but during that 15 year period the last part of our friendship I probably was too frightened to say I don't like this person. I don't like his attitudes, his beliefs. I don't like the way he speaks to people. I don't like the way he talks to me. I don't like the way he behaves towards me. I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way he wants to embarrass me. I don't like the way he tries to take control. But instead of that, I just continued on these actually painful arguments in my head. Um, and that is like a kind of a... almost like a kind of a sickness, a part of me that was unhappy... That I was getting some kind of relief from, from winning fantasy arguments that could have been based on some discussion or conversation we had. But I know for hours a day I could spend in my head, t- t- in, in this self-indulgent, narcissistic fantasy of how I would win and how I would get it back. And in the end it was brought into reality in therapy, you know, what do I really want to say to this person? why is it you're feeling so angry today you know what is it what is it that you think that means you know these these kind of questions or you know I wonder why you aren't talking about this person or I want you know whatever you know hundreds of different questions over years but made me realize I had to do something in reality to deal with it to get rid of those awful feelings I was obviously containing towards him and therefore myself
0: so I said earlier that um,
1: we need in order to be creative
0: in order to make things happen in order to get anything done, you need to fantasize and to some extent you need to believe that that fantasy could be real and if you're real and if you're a really high achiever and slightly psychotic, you need to believe that it is real already because that is the driver to total. Uh, monopoly and annihilation in a global competitive capitalist marketplace, but bringing it down to a a smaller scale in order to make anything happen, even just setting up your own allotment and planting all the plants, you need to imagine what it would be like. You need to imagine how you'll feel when you're there. You'll need to imagine what the things will taste like and whether you'll want to do that. You'll need to imagine what it would be like if it's raining or cold, will I still have the motivation to go and do the gardening, etc.? You, if you imagine all these things and you come to the conclusion that you want to have an allotment, then you'll do it. If you don't imagine any of those things, the passing thought of an allotment will be nothing more than a passing thought and you'll have another passing thought that will replace it. So this fantasy needs to continue in your head in order to make anything happen. So can we do things more effectively by having a better grasp of what is born of our unconscious and not reality? Or does this analysis ruin the creative and experimental process? I feel like I've slightly, be it in my intonation or what I said immediately beforehand, answered that question. I'm just going to say, I think that if you Try and understand your core beliefs, as we've mentioned in a previous episode. If you try and understand your trauma, that we've mentioned in another previous episode, the more you understand yourself, the more you know about yourself, the more you try and, the the more you're uh, productively analytical in that sense, the better you will be at having fantasies that don't completely skew reality and set you up for disappointment, the better you will be at not having a wildly vast canyon between your impression of reality and the actual reality that turns out to be the case.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think fantasy is absolutely key to wish fulfilment. Imagination is absolutely key to that. But it's necessary
0: to... uh, to, to To do everything that we're encouraging you to do, to understand your core beliefs, to reflect on your traumas and all the things that we talked about, talked about in previous episodes in order to create a more informed fantasy. So in, if you are in denial, if you have if you are driven by childhood trauma and you're not aware of it, if you are constantly anxious, blah, 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 ultimately that could mean that your allotment is actually just a way of you screaming at your father, I can do it, and you don't really need an allotment. Or the allotment won't make you happy because your father won't be there to pat you on the shoulder and say, son, I've been wrong all along and it took this allotment to make me realise it because that's not going to happen. So you need to have a better understanding of your core beliefs your drivers your anything that is going on inside your head you need to have a better understanding of that in order for your fantasies to be effective because then you're not imagining the perfect allotment to please your father you're imagining the perfect allotment to please yourself based on what you know you like and what works yeah for
1: you. yeah yeah absolutely i think um Obviously, the allotment being something that I could relate to whilst you were saying that i was I was questioning where that had come from, and actually the allotment for me was still a replacement of something it was a so I left the due to the argument with the aforementioned friend that went on for years and years in probably his head as well. Um, I left the band I was in, we were both in the same band, and I no longer had this drive for, well, it was still there, but I no longer have any fulfilment of this drive for success and adoration. There was nothing, and for, for a while, and I talked about this, of course, in therapy, I didn't want to do anything because I realised that although I enjoyed playing the drums, the whole point of being in this band was to get the adoration and the validation and the... And and the success that would prove that I was this w- incredible person who was better than others and who who had made it and who had who had who was incredible who was stood out from the crowd who was who was the person that made others happy who was the person that others looked up to and and I realised towards the end of it that, that towards the end of being in the band that I never really got any of those things from it so those things those things couldn't be couldn't actually really be the outcome of doing that you know you could have told me that
0: maybe six or seven years ago and saved me a lot of time working out that that's how I had
1: been you can't tell someone else (laughs) I mean, yeah, but by all means, tell someone else that, but they most likely won't believe you. Uh, and if they do, perhaps they didn't have as much invested in it as I had in that band. You know, 15 years of my life, countless thousands of pounds, countless thousands of hours, a uh, huge emotional investment, um, and putting up with lots of things that actually I found... um damaging so you're saying
0: that when you worked out that the reason you wanted to be in that band is not because in the moment it's a fulfilling thing that enriches your life it's because you wanted to prove to the world that you can be better than average and produce great things and receive the adoration for doing so when you work that out did you then are are you saying that you took on the allotment because that was a project more likely to make you realistically happy as opposed to fantastically, unrealistically happy happy, which would never happen. No, and what
1: you you might notice, so 2013, knowing me quite well, I left the band. It was the same year my dad died, which obviously was a huge trigger into me reconsidering what I was doing with my life. My dad died a few months later, I left the band, so it was January 2014. And I I very clearly said to myself I can't just get involved with something else I can't join another band I can't go back into theater which I used to do a lot as a teenager I can't do anything and I've probably spent 3 or 4 years um uh reaching for bottles of wine every night and not tr- trying to stop that like incessant fantasy of having to be this per having to achieve something to be this person this this incredible person, and suddenly realizing or realizing during that time that I, I get left the band that that was never going to happen anyway. The person that I thought I would become when the band made it was never going to be any different to the person who went into the band, maybe someone a bit more experienced to. Uh, with different contacts and and different um, yeah more experiences but I was never going to be this incredible successful person who had achieved everything and had found self-actualization so I took a ti- I took my time and and uh, just out of nowhere I started growing some tomatoes because I like tomatoes and I thought well I've got lots of time on my hands in a big garden because I was staying with my family I put more effort into work to just try and be better at my job and got some kind of fulfilment from that, but still I was battling the idea that I was doing it to get the adoration. And as I went through the allotment and realised that the outcome was not me being a better person as such, um, the outcome was actually what I grew and what I was able to learn, uh, which somewhat, I suppose, does make me a, a more well-rounded person, then that the allotment became something... On its own, growing things and learning about the soil and, and spending my time doing that. Without, there's never going to come a day where I'm on stage and I show that my best tomatoes to 50,000 people <laughs> at, at Glastonbury and I get two hours of applause and reviews in, you know, reviews in Rolling Stone magazine and an invitation to the Brit Awards. Um, And it's actually incredibly peaceful and calming and and helps me deal with the fact that those fantasies are still there. But I'm not destroying everything or or I'm not living unhappily because I'm not working towards these false gods almost.
0: I've more or less done the same thing that you've described or at least started on that process uh, in Montpellier, which is a more glamorous location to do so than Croydon. So, in conclusion, this episode, I win. If that's, <laughs> that, if that's how you'd like to conclude the episode. No, I'd like to conclude the episode. Oh, no, firstly, I just want to shove in um, an extra thing just because I've written it in my notes. So, in Julia Segal's book about fantasy, she also references soap operas and religion... As functioning as fantastical realities in the minds of their audiences. They believe in God. They believe that Phil Mitchell and Peggy Mitchell are real. Um, they believe them to be true and they invest in them. And in that process, they make sense of their own morals or they become a maniac. Um, one last thing is uh, Daniel is an anagram of denial. And that's something we talked about when we recorded the previous version of our fantasy discussion that was slightly problematic.
1: What do you want me to do with that?
0: Just react in a witty way that will make the audience laugh and think oh, oh, Dan's always got something funny to say and then we'll just play out with the end of the episode and leave people feeling in a great mood. So, I'll say it again.
1: (laughs) Daniel is an anagram of denial. And James is an anagram of same, only with a silent J. Uh, Next week, potentially,
0: we could talk about phobia because I have been carrying around the phobia book. So random subject generator of the week
1: says phobia. Yes, it does. And I know, I, you know, I am aware that we did say that we would talk about DBT and MBT. Um, I also got a couple of my facts wrong about that last week, um, just because just in the moment I wasn't really clearly thinking. DBT is a kind of an offshoot of CBT and mentalization MBT, is an offshoot of psychoanalysis in many ways. Um, whereas I said that they were both offshoots of psychoanalysis. So from Daniel P. Brown in the private practice studios in... Sutton, um, I want to say goodbye to the listener. And from James Hall in the private
0: practice studios in the 19th arrondissement of Paris, near the parc Bouchement, somewhere between the uh, Parc de Villettes <sighs> and jo- <sighs> Jaurès Stalingrad. Uh, it's a good night from me as well. <laughs>
1: James, one last, one final thing. Yeah? You haven't in any of the last three episodes pointed out that we have a new theme tune and I did finally get you that new theme tune. Well done. Thanks, James. All right, goodbye, everyone. (laughs) It's a wonderful story.